fine. I have a team there though. So and I, I've been around that for 20 years plus. So I'm just like, oh, I need a breath of fresh air and something different. Plus you have to realize that I deal with people overseas. So you deal with overseas clients. You're also able to, I got to start. I don't have to start work as early. But in LA, I had to get like 3 a.m. sometimes, 6 a.m. to do it. Certain parts of Asia, London, or something like that. Whereas out here, I can get up at 6 a.m., 9 a.m. and still be okay. Right, right. So what do you do with Asia? Um, with Asia? Mm-hmm. With Asia, I mean, we've been doing a lot of things with um, Toyota and Lexus. And then I've been doing a lot of things in the, in the whole travel um, destination realm. So anything that's relative to like hotels, adventure, backpacking, traveling, young people, um, just trying to experience life and get their take of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I disseminate. Um, instead of, you know, instead of giving people a dream of, you know, being a billionaire or a trillionaire, we're all about, you know, experiences, you know, so it's experiences. And we also think, we also know that, you know, you can't take money to your grave. You can take your experiences to your grave. You can take it for me. It's all about the bucket list, you know, growing up in Detroit poor and getting out of there and then coming out here and having and just being out in the real world, having access to places I've never even thought about going to is really what's interesting. So uh, amazing and beautiful to me. So I kind of like, I like to be a part of that whole world. I mean, that's like a blessing for me. Then I can be close to my son over here too. Okay. How old is he now? He's like 12. He'll be 13. He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> once he gets heated, once he gets warmed up to you, he literally acts like us. It's just the most, it is what it is. The evidence from afar. And I don't see him as often because he's just, you know, he's like, he's like me, but we do see each other a lot now because I'm here. But mm. it's still when I see him at home, he's like upstairs in his room playing computers. But he just likes to know that you're there. He likes to know that you have, he has access to his father and that right. I'm not going to, you know, get on his nerves. And I'm going to listen to him. And so, you know, the hardest thing for me is just trying to figure out ways on how to stop asking my son to do something numerous times. I feel like that's like that, you know, some kind of crazy mentality that we grew up on that you don't have to use that with young people. You just say it once and you be sensible and you explain to them why you feel that way and you talk to them like an adult and they treat you. They respect you as such. I mean, mm. so you know, of course, young people, you know, sometimes we all, I mean, I've gotten out of line. You've gotten out of line, I'm sure, when you were younger. But I feel like with, with him, he's, uh, I just explain to him, and I'll, and I'll say, well, you are upstairs for 10 hours, and I've been, I've flown all the way from Germany for, t- you know, 10, 12 hours. <laughs> you know, you can better keep your head open. You're living in the future. You already know, it's six, six hours ahead of time. So it's like, <clears throat> so it's a different world. So yeah, but it's great because now he is, you know, he's exposed. He's been exposed to the internet and technology for quite some time. So he was seven. He'll be 13 in November. See, he's had a, you know, he has an iPhone, a Samsung, some, you know, whatever. So right now he has an iPhone, but uh, I really would love to take him to Bali. But he has his passport. His mom has his passport. And I would love to take him, you know, as, as co-parents to see something that I saw with my own eyes, you know, years back and had to live there in Jakarta for almost six months. It was just amazing, you know, being in a place um, on the earth where the Pacific Ocean meets the Atlantic Ocean. It's like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, you know, and I was just like, and I promised myself, I was like, oh my God, if I ever have a child, I want them to see this sun that looks like it's about to fall off the edge of the earth. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right, you know? Right, so, yeah. Yeah, so I hope that we have that opportunity, hopefully in July. But yeah, I've been, I mean, I, and I just got the phone, well, the text message with Luz. <laughs> so that was fun. That was funny. Travel with kids anywhere that you can let them go uh, is good. Even like just going to Paris or London, just any place that you could see. Like I say, you can look back at the U.S. and see how they're looking at us. You know, because you listen to their news and see how their take on our politics, their take on our, you know, social, uh, whatever we're up, whatever we're doing, our social media, our social, our dances, our music is really, it's something that so many Americans don't. It's groundbreaking. It's really groundbreaking. It's it really is. It really is. And it's just so amazing, particularly to be an African-American and to know I'm African-American. I'm not whitewashed. I'm not dumb. After we travel to any other country, you don't see a whole lot of Americans and you don't see a whole lot of Black Americans. And what's cool is that now you can have that conversation with him. You know, he's old enough. He's got it. And whatever you want to, you know, whatever your analysis of that is, you could debate it with him. You could have a conversation, let him draw his own conclusions, because this is the time. This is the time when they're forming arguments and listening and gathering information and things like that, that um, that's different. Yeah. They are. And I don't push them anymore. I'll be like, you want to read this book right here? And I'm like, you wanna? I'm like he's like, I'll be like, you want to read the dictionary? <laughs> he read the dictionary a little bit. You know, my sister, really, my sister is our sorority sister. And she basically went to, um, you know, Duke undergrad and pledged as a freshman in the Columbia Law School. 
shortly after my, my sister Felicia or Felice, so to speak. Yeah, they said her name in the field. But um, make a long story short, she saw, you know, she taught me a lot, you know, just looking at her. But the real thing is she snatched me out of Detroit when I was like six or seven years old, put me on an airplane, had me walking around Times Square. And I was getting tripped on. And my sister, my little sister came one time. My little sister didn't go back again. I did. I loved the way it smelled like peanuts and all other things. <laughs> and, I thought, and I heard noises. And I just was like, oh, my God. It's like All these people are trampling on each other. It was like the most amazing thing to see all that foot traffic. And I feel like, like you said, that's going to be great. It's going to really uh, evoke some, uh, some positive vibes for him. And I feel like it has definitely done that for me. And, and the great thing is, too, is there's not a lot of Americans that are Black overseas. But one thing's for sure. I've always run into a couple of black people somewhere from West Africa, definitely of the African diaspora. So it's kind of cool to see more of us traveling now, whereas mm-hmm. before it wasn't. It's where it is a different time. The world is smaller. It's there's less barriers between Africa and Africans and African Americans. And even even like in the music, you know, between Afro beats and and how we listen to like you, it's it all is melding together, you know. And, and we listen to it one after the next. It could be, uh, you know, like a, a reggae soca straight to R and B, straight to hip hop, and then Afro beats, and it's all just the same. That's, right, right. That's where we are. Yep. And but the cool thing is too, if you think about it, when I was in Asia, like um, I was in Jakarta about nine years ago. It was supposed to be two months, and it been almost six months. Because I was like, I'm going to Singapore. I'm going here. I'm going. It was amazing. It was so interesting, like you said, to watch television and to see how they view us. In addition to to see the types of commercials and ever adver- advertisements that they have on television, mm-hmm. and um, and also to see that some of our music is released overseas so far in advance. <laughs> when I got back to America, it was I was so I was like, what? You know, for a person. That works in media. Right. I was like, oh my God, I got invited to Radio City. But the number one song in the um, in Asia at the time was Gautier from Australia, the musician and singer. So, and he had a song called Somebody That I Used to Know. And so and as soon as I got off the plane, like a month, like a half, like two weeks later, Radio City Music Hall and MTV invited me to his performance. And I said, hell yeah. So not only was I introduced to him and his new sound, his ability to produce and put together beats and music, also, I was introduced to living in the future. Yeah, time, literally time travel. <laughs> You're literally time traveling. And yeah. you'll be a fool not to use it to your best extent. And also, Uber had gave us gift bags and cards inside of it. And that's when I first was introduced to Uber. And it's like 2013. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I haven't been driving unless it's for a car review. Because I don't, you know, owning a car is like, if you, if you really help the world, you know, lower your carbon footprint. And speaking of that, you know, just and I feel a lot of that stuff that uh, me being able to be vulnerable and also to be able to discuss this kind of stuff is mainly because I've given myself permission to do so. And part of that is being a member of the fraternity. And um, I just feel like the fraternity really showed me some things that I never knew that I was capable of doing. Just being around people like you guys, just seeing you is enough for me. So <laughs> Let, that's it's, it's a lot because it's like you guys are so I don't talk to you enough because we we all getting you know we all we all, we all have our lives but I, not a day goes by that I don't anything about you. I see everything about you too in all my frat brothers we have our ups and downs and our dis and our differences but one thing's for sure is I respect all of my fraternity brothers and I love all of you and I think what you offer me just by just by sight and believing in me and making me feel empowered a lot. Dude, it's a continuum. I, there's some brothers who came before me who were there. Some I, I met some guys that when the the first convention I went to, they were New Yorkers, you know, old men, kind of like my, probably my age. If, uh, now. And guys said, yeah, you know, come by my office. He was an attorney with a firm. He was at Columbus Circle. And he was just like, cool, giving me someone to look up to. And it was like, it's a continuum. It really is. And it really is. And it's like the, the blessing of it is for me as well. Is, you know, you grew up in a city that you have to really struggle and try to, you know, make ends meet. And you, you're hungry. and Your family's hungry. You're stealing and robbing from stores. And then you get an opportunity to go to a school like a Cornell. And then you get an opportunity to pledge a fraternity that has so many amazing ties, not only with my family members, my on my father's side, my grandfather, my uncle, but also my sisters, a.k.a. my auntie, my, you know. My grandmother, my great great grandmother. It's just, it's just amazing, and to be around to see my great aunt when she passed away. I didn't know why all these women wore these white dresses and they celebrated, <laughs> you know. And it was just the send off was just 
super amazing. And right. some women, some women, some of the women expressed to me they didn't even know my aunt. They were just there to support the other women that were there and to support me. I think at the time I was six or five or something, but it was just beautiful to see that camaraderie and that, that special connection that no one did that tradition and also a great sense of style. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you say like it was a network extended family? And for many of us, college was new, was different. Um, for me, first generation college attendee, plus I didn't grow up with my father. So my mother was the matriarch of the family. And uh, most of my family uh, didn't go to college, at least not in my immediate uh, um, connection. So going to Cornell was foreign and the fraternity provided that sort of family away from family and support away from that and, and we talk about it as, you know, members of a black fraternity, but it was actually that many white people, too, because the Ithaca is very isolated. And, and that's why the fraternity system was so strong in Ithaca, New York. People who tried to succeed at Cornell, even as early as the 1900s, when, when the fraternity came around, uh, tried to succeed on their own, they busted out. But those who came together, particularly in fraternities and later sororities, they were more successful because they uh, supported one another. They provided old exams, connections, fellowships, social, academic support, that kind of thing. And the few Blacks that were up there at the time got to see that and saw the benefit of that. They worked in these fraternity houses and they adopted that. Uh, in, in a way that was meaningful um, culturally to them in forming Alpha Phi Alpha, which I, this is why I, whenever I meet people who go to HBCUs who are uh, in uh, Black Greek letter organizations, I explain why a Cornell and not a Howard University because of the location, because of the fraternal system that we were not a uh, part of. And while we were allowed to go to Cornell, it was still socially segregated. And the extent we were able to come together closer, uh, the more successful we tended to be. And you look at our founders, all of them were pioneers uh, in their fields. And, and we herald them today, but they also set the model for the larger Black community, as well as the other Black Greek letter organizations that followed us. And I'm still close to many of my connections from the fraternity from from Cornell, um, obviously Frank, uh, my big brother and sponsor uh, there, but others. And when I relocated from New York City, where I'm from, to D.C., uh, the fraternity was the first network that I was able to connect to. And I had sort of an instant um, network and connection that helped me kind of prosper and, and develop here in D.C. And I've you know, kind of always been grateful for that. So Yeah, it's so powerful to hear you say that because I, I told you last night on the phone, I was like, I just like talked to you last night. Well, about an hour and a half at 1 a.m. in the morning, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm, doing, I'm, doing, I'm working on all this, uh, this presentation with Fashion Week that's last minute, and we're putting together this whole, uh, I think it's like uh, the, the organizers are putting together, uh, one of the organizers is Javier Pedroza. He is a person that works in the design space. He does the showrooms for the sky that he revamped uh, a lot of showrooms for Tommy Hilfiger, I mean, Ralph Lawrence, excuse me. And um, the great thing with Javier is that he uh, he's an amazing organizer. So, but he and he does it fast. I've seen his galas. I've seen everything. And I'm like, bro. I, I mean, what? So anyway, you, you, you hear that, Frank? Ga gala. Right, right. <laughs> we can Frank use that as part of our. We're thinking about doing some kind of uh, fundraiser gala too. And Frank has a lot of ideas, but I tell him that is not my skill set. Yeah, this stuff is a lot of work. I love logistics, but for me, I love to be the icing on the cake. Um, and so he asked us to be a media sponsor. And I said, this is really great. This Black History Month. And didn't we just have a fraternity birthday? You know? And so um, I thought to myself, like, uh, duh, you need to tap into those resources. And so I said to myself, let's just talk to the Alphas. Because for me, I'm in the Bronx at the moment. And I was like, I've loved the culinary scene of the Bronx. And people don't really understand the New York Botanical Gardens. I work with that institution as well. So, uh, you know, going, uh, tons of restaurants in Little Italy the award-winning Little Italy, which is literally on the corner. And the Fordham University has tons of schools and alliances with Cornell and campuses and Lincoln Center area as well as in the Bronx of Fordham. But, wow, it's crazy because it's like energy in this area is is, is amazing. It's, it's probably like one of the most authentic places left in New York. And so I'm excited. And so, um, but I'm also in a, in a place that I don't know. So I said to myself, well, yeah, you know, we you know, being, I, you know, being a, a cool nerd, you are, I do feel naive sometimes. And I was like, Vaughn, you're so damn dumb. Like, think about <laughs> it. I said, how can you really get some, how can you really shout somebody's name that you know and you love? You wear the letters. <laughs> so I, I ordered letters and I put them, I put them on a gap, uh, denim jacket with the alpha, alpha, and, uh, my, and then Beyonce gives me a, a Ivy Park jacket, her company. 
um, for one of her giftings. And I was like, oh, I hope she doesn't miss this up because it was a black and gold track jacket from Adidas. And I put the, <laughs> I, I, I put the authentic letters from Alpha Fraternity, the incorporated letters on the back. And I was like, I hope they don't mess them up. It, it looks amazing. I wear that with honor and I take, I wear it to the store, wherever, you know. And then I was at the gym and the, um, and an alpha approached me. And then it was just amazing, a younger alpha. And I was like, Vaughn, you're so dingy. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Because everybody from Binghamton and Syracuse and like Stony Brook and all those schools up there, they are Afro-Caribbean. We're we're Afro-Latino. Yeah. I didn't understand that black people are Latin people because I'm from Detroit. And I didn't get that. I get that lesson. You know, we're so segregated. You, you got to you got to get out more. I mean, New York. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I know. So when I came to New York, you guys explained to me there's yeah. white Puerto Ricans. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And of course, you know, this was a long time ago, but I was like shell shocked. So coming back here, I was like, I love this. You know, I was so excited. I put well, you, 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 know, you know Julio, right? Because dang. Yeah, right? yeah. I remember uh, he's, he has, he's Dominican from New York. I mean, yeah, all, all, all of us are. And, he, and he's darker than all of us on a call, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's so dope. But anyway, the coolest thing is, is that, brothers, what I think is amazing is that a community that you thought was forgotten, that you thought people didn't care about that you thought was disjointed and full of pain and misery is the exact opposite. And um, when I wear that jacket, I um, I feel like I feel respected. I've had people actually, with my friends, they'll attest to this. They will say, you a smart brother, you an alpha. And it's like an older gentleman. I've also met um, some of my frat brothers with that jacket on. So being in an area with 2 million people and being on foot, right? And then, yeah, with no jacket, and, then I'm, with jacket off, and, I'm, right? and I'm seen, I'm seen. Yeah, you're seen. And, well, it, even if Beyonce sees you with that jacket, it's <laughs> as, oh, a part two homecoming, maybe. <laughs> all right. Well, so, right. Or you uh, uh, educate her that Jay-Z's birthday is December 4th. And so. Is it been, really? Yeah. Is that right? I didn't know that. Let me look that up. Let me some fact checking. Hold one second, please. Oh, you gonna check? <laughs> I don't trust but verify. You can fact check. That's really cool. But um, yeah. So it's kind of crazy because you know, right now it's like we live in a time where I feel like everything's evolving exponentially. And I was saying to myself, like, the one thing you know, of course, you know, you're working out and you're in the gym, and somebody reaches over to you and he's, like, you know, I'm like, what? <laughs> It's like it's a frat brother. It's a younger frat brother, and he was like so excited. And um, he, I told him I was like I'm from Cornell, and he just went back. And I, and I keep forgetting that I, that I'm blessed, and that I was extremely blessed to have an experience like that. I don't care about anything else but experience for me. Like I said before, you know, taking to the grade, I can take that to that. Not the money, not the car, not the house that you still got to pay taxes on if you don't have a living trust. So the thing is, like, you know, your kids do. So it's like basically, you know. For me, it's about the experience. So I was just like, wow. He really, he, he let me know that, and he said it out of his mouth. We are strong up here, bro. <laughs> he said, it's a lot of us up here. You're fine. And I was like, I don't know nobody up here. So it was just really cool. But it's, And also, it's been cool to see um, even Mexican young people have came up to me, like a young guy. Um, I think he, he gave me Fordham University vibe. But he also came, <laughs> he also came up to me, and I love Fordham because I work with Fordham. Um, with the with for internship program, I love the kids. I love their energy. They're so Cornell. Like, I love it. There's something about the energy. What I really love is that those kids—they're not afraid to walk down the street, and they're in all colors, and they're all walking around. And they laugh, and we all respect each other. It's nothing, you know. Of course, there's times you just might arguing and fighting, but I've never seen so much just uh, communal capitalism, um, respect. It's just amazing. And it's just the resources and ability to get things done out here. It's just, I mean, you know, it's New York. You can go around the corner, get your car welded, get somebody to make you a piece of glass. But, you know, it's just, I mean, I literally have done all that. So for me to be in this community and to, you know, wear those letters and to be seen even more and to be a part of the community and to see that, I was like, and then this young Mexican little bit, this guy came to me and he said, I was wondering where you've been. Where did the alpha guy go? I was like, what? <laughs> Like, like, like I'm some superhero. Like, really, bro? So, so, so I'm wondering, Vaughn, I mean, can we, you know, kind of pitch that story that, you know, obviously Alpha is meaningful to us, but it, it has a larger meaning in African-American it history. It does have a larger meaning. It does and American Ameri- American history. And and I, I once heard that second only to the Black church, it was like the longest 
ongoing institution that that has sort of survived. And, you know, when we were coming through the fraternity, as much as we were supportive of ourselves, we also realized the need to reach back to our community because we were only as good as the rest of our community was prospering. And we felt like an obligation given, you know, some of the benefits that we had in attending Cornell and the jobs and, and other accomplishments that we made to kind of reach back and help others like folks did before us that was exemplified by the founders of our fraternity. And I'm hoping this uh, this monument will speak to that that larger narrative of where we fit in the community. Yeah, that monument is everything to me because that's that monument makes me feel like I'm a part of something. It's also ingrained, like you said, it's literally ingrained in the in our in the in the culture. Yeah. Martin Luther King is from Morehouse, undergrad, players. Yeah. yeah. Duke Ellington, W. B. Bois. I mean, these are amazing people. And your, then, your, your grandfather, Joseph Lowry. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, my uh, grandfather, my uncle, you. I mean, yeah. you guys are great. My uncle's a you know an engineer. You're an attorney with the, the U.S. government, and then Frank is an architect. Yeah, like, we, really? Like, <laughs> like, bro, I think it's amazing. And then the first, the other thing that I know, and I had a, an epiphany. Was like you gotta get into school first to even get in this chapter. Yes, I so, I tell people I tell brothers, listen, Cornell does the hazing. <laughs> they do the weed before Cornell you did the selection process. Yeah. yeah. No, it does. And people, I mean, not to be elitist about Cornell or the Ivy League, it's not so much that you get a better education than elsewhere because there are so many places that give you comparable education, although I think Cornell education is outstanding, particularly in the breadth. Not only your direct education, but the relationships you have with students in the other undergraduate colleges. But what, what really Cornell excels with, and this is a good example of it, is the network. I mean, beyond Cornell, I mean, that it's unparalleled, even with the other Ivy League schools. Cornell's network, not only internally, but networking with the other uh, Ivy League schools and in the greater African-American educated uh, uh, community. And that, you know, again, first generation college uh, fixed income growing up, you know, poor area of South Jamaica, Queens. I mean, I really feel like an obligation to give back and the fraternity allows me to do that. And actually to tell the story of Alpha Phi Alpha and Ithaca, because we also didn't make it just supporting ourselves as Black students at Cornell, but we had a, a community, the, Af the African-American community in Cornell that supported us uh, when we couldn't live in the white fraternities, which provided the housing for males at the time. We were able to live with black families who supported us, you know, in terms of housing and fellowship and socialization. And this monument is going to tell that narrative, the connection with Annie Singleton, the mother of Alpha, uh, Ed Newton, who also supported us at 421 North, North Albany. Also, the, the black churches up there, particularly St. James, Amy Zion, you know, one of the stops on the Underground Railroad where you know, Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass worship in the early, um, the, the late uh, 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, I mean, Ithaca and central New York is really meaningful historically for our African-American and greater American community. And I want the monument to be able to, to tell that. Yeah. And Eric, on top of that, the, uh, the fraternity is very much modeled after Cornell in some ways, in, you know, the whole fraternity, but it's, you know, because it started with, with an idea is because Cornell network is, is tough. It's really tight. You can go anywhere. And, and even though we have a crazy adversity sometimes on campus and there's some racial issues and this and that and social issues, but Cornellians look out for each other, just like what, how we do in the frat. So it's another kind of really symbolic, a brick and mortar kind of manifestation of the symbolism of the connection between Cornell uh, and the fraternity and to make it a public monument, public plaza that everyone can use. That it really strengthened the idea to acquire property to give back to the city. But, th but that's really what we want to do. And, then, and we do talk about Cornell having some issues like other schools in terms of racism, maybe segregation or whatever, but it was also ahead of its time. Um, at the time where the fraternities coming out of, right, um, they were open to, as a white institution, Ivy League institution, it was open to Blacks at almost its inception. Well, you know, pretty close to when it started. It was co-ed at pretty much its inception. It was open to Asian Americans and people of international uh, descent. And that sort of carried through. That was unheard of at all the other, you know, predominantly white schools, not only in the South, but in the North as well, and the other Ivy Leagues, many of which didn't actually go co-ed until the late 20th century, I mean, like the 70s, 80s, you know. Um, so, I mean, Cornell was leading in that and it attracted uh, African-Americans. So while, you know, the 
coined that Carol came in book, we were a part of Cornell. We were also a part, like separated from Cornell and, and that dichotomy, but it was also did, did provide an opportunity for us uh, to advance and, and, and have a greater connection with the, the larger community, although it's still, you know, we're still working on that. It's not perfect, but it certainly provided an opportunity and a bridge to that. Yeah. Like you said, the network is amazing and, not, and the, the uh, access to resources. Yeah. With like seven, eight international like library systems at Cornell. It's like crazy. And so like and then you have the, in upstate uh, Ithaca, New York, remote Ithaca, wow. New York. <laughs> yeah. We're back when people use physical books and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going on foot bridges and gorgeous. So, yeah, exactly. um, so tell me about um Frank as an architect, successful architect. That school everybody knows is well respected, which I didn't even know anything about architecture in terms of like the architecture school in the world. Right. And it's like a five-year program, right? Five-year program. You get a professional degree. Uh, this Every state has a couple. Of, it's almost like the veterinary school, That how, how few uh, accredited programs there are. But it's more than the veterinary school, but almost like it. And it's a great, rigorous uh, program. And it teaches you how to think. Some of the main managing principles of some of the top firms in the, in the country, in the world, are Cornellians. Just like the hotel school, right? Some of the right, I, I, I was. It's so crazy. And um, I was in a cohort with a um, with the president of the former president of Edna U.S. Healthcare or Edna Inc. And at the time, a long time ago, I worked there. But um, he 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 was in my um, he was one of our guest speakers on a digital version of it. It was only like eight eight people who were attending it, um, all business owners, and uh, that was interesting. But um, I had said something, and he clicked, and he said, "You, you go to Cornell?" That's something like that. I think his name is Mark. I'm so I'm terrible with names, but um, yeah, he uh, he was like, "I probably," he's like, "I taught at Cornell too." Anyway, the former one, of the former um presidents of Edna Inc. taught at Cornell in the ILR school, the school I went to, and <laughs> um, yeah, he was teaching me about stuff, and then he asked me about what I was working on with his core with my organization, and I told him he was like, "Okay." Yeah. You know, business is being done differently. I don't want to, it's not about having an employee. I think we have to change things. Um, I give people more uh, independence, autonomy. To me, it's about empowering uh, people within your tribe, so to speak, uh, funneling your resources and creating vendors and becoming vendors for one another, um, legal vendors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, the uh, tax write-offs are uh, incentives are much better. So um, to me, that's better. And then um, it's just a beautiful space. So it's great, you know, that network is just phenomenal and the fact that you, you it touches so many people. But seeing Akira Bryson what, at the time when I stayed in the house, um, being a uh, half black Japanese brother, I was like, what is he? <laughs> what is that? What is that? And I was like, what the? And he was so cool and mellow and, and fly. He had his little <laughs> letterman jacket on. Maybe he had his little haircut. Yeah. Then, I feel like me and him actually connected because I saw him draw. And I've been drawing since I was a kid, but I was taunted. And talked about the things that I, that I have right there behind me, those skateboards and stuff like that that I've mounted. But I do all kind of art, all kind of installations. But I just do it for fun. Not, now people are like, you're trying to buy it. Okay, great. I, so one day I'll be like a Kira Bryson selling $40,000 couches. But to see this man make this, <laughs> to see this man make this furniture and just his color palette and the way he lived, it was just amazing. Because, you know, I'm a little black woman trait. And I lived in the hood, so all I saw was just, you know, needles and this and that. And I, I, and I prayed to God on it, and I went to Cornell, and I learned about reggae music and labor law and architecture and engineering. And then I learned about wine. There's wine tasting classes. I was just like, what the heck? So all the things that I learned at Cornell, I do today. And like you said, the food and beverage industry, the design industry, um, is, all in bar, is all engulfed with the Cornelians. And yeah. they are very, they're very nice. And um, even some of the new TikTokers I interviewed, they're from Cornell. I'm like, what the heck? Let's give a little love to arts and sciences. I know there are a million different colleges in, of arts and school, sciences. In school of Hematology. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, that's true. But as an arts and sciences, I mean, I met, you know, my, one of my professors was Professor uh, Henry Louis Gates, Skip Gates, you know, when he was at Cornell. And he introduced me to, as one of the guest speakers, James Baldwin, you know, at Cornell. And you met right, right. Carl Sagan. I mean, come on, man. You know, <laughs> It was just phenomenal. It was like way beyond my expectations. These are people you read about. You didn't think you would be able to touch. And they were like real, real people, you know. Right. I mean, that whole experience was welcoming. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then to, to be in this in a system like that, um, and have access. I think what's up? Was it is it Bailey Hall? Tom Brokaw spoke at Cornell a long time ago, and um, I was like, I saw, I was like, I, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't paying fifty two hundred dollars. I couldn't afford it, but I listened to him outside the thing, and I saw him exit, and I was like, what? The? Like you know, to have one of the biggest news anchors like walking around your campus, that's pretty hot shit. So for me, um, and then and also we're Division One school, so it's like you have access. And all your friends are like either on a basketball team. And it was just a very small community. I love the um, the ability and the access to culture as well. We taught each other with the differences in dormitories, Abuego, um, Ujima, you know, just really teaching us about the principles of um, Africa and, uh, you know, just that world in general and learning those words in addition to uh, we be jamming music, you know. <laughs> and then seeing these kids cook this food, right? These kids are yeah. cooking food for us and preparing it from scratch sometimes, like making eggs and pasta. It's just beautiful. Yeah. So and I, and I got to throw a shout out to um, uh, the, the late doc, uh, Dr. Uh, James Turner and his wife, Dean Turner, my academic advising dean in arts and sciences. Yeah. Are you talking about James Turner from African Studies? Yeah, yeah. He passed this past summer. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had a class with him. Yeah, yeah, no, he was he was like a daddy because when I was applying to Cornell first, my uh, interview for Cornell was at the Cornell Club in Manhattan, and uh, Dean Turner interviewed me, and also I had some family connections who were familiar with Dr. James Turner, and they were like, "Oh, you should reach out to him and send a letter to him to get in." And unfortunately, I didn't do that, but I did have Dean Turner interview me, and then when I met him, I told you know told him about the connections in Queens. He he had a place in Queens. They actually had never moved to it, but it was where I lived and in a part of Queens that they had a place, but then they went moved to Ithaca from, from New York after he was working with it, a while after he was working with um with Malcolm X. He used to be a, one of Malcolm X's like assistant like background speech writer kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, Cornell West Cornell yeah. West came to our school. Um yeah. Rod, was it yeah. Sonia Sanchez? Yeah, I know. Yeah, Maya, I remember Maya her. Angelo, yeah. Maya Angelo came to our school, Yolanda yeah. Adams, I believe. Well, let, let's not forget people the person who went to our school, Tony Morrison. I mean, yep. and, then, um, and, and Ruth Bader, right? Yeah, Ruth yep. Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, no, she was a government major. And I, I have one little story. I know I'm going so far off tangent that I guess exactly. if I had one regret was I, I did the Cornell and Washington program as a government major. And my advisor, very famous government professor, American government professor, Professor T.J. Lowry, uh, recommended that I, I reach out to a good uh, friend of his that went to Cornell for an internship while I was in Cornell and Washington. But I said, I, I already accepted an internship with the Civil Rights Commission in D.C. and I didn't want to burn that bridge. Well, the person that he wanted me to intern with was then Court of Appeals Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I'm so mad because, you know, she was a government major. She obviously was a judge and then a justice of the Supreme Court and probably would have been the first woman justice had Carter won a second term and got to pick a uh, justice but you know those like one of my, my singular regret but you know I guess it wasn't meant to, wasn't meant to be so yeah, I mean it was amazing and then also the, the monument means to me too is that um, it's all about inclusivity for me yeah. I, I believe I was probably the youngest president of the minority panel in the council we called ourselves minority for a reason I don't know why but the black and the black and Latino recouncil. I was the president of it, and it had all these it had uh, black and Latino attorneys mm-hmm. and authorities. And for a little nineteen year old to actually put us all together in a room and make it work, I think that was awesome. That I was able to do that, and that the other members of the attorneys and authorities respected me enough to let me have a meeting. And then I and then I said to myself, I'm putting the concert on in Bailey Hall too. So I got Beanie Man down there and all that stuff, and I put it on for people that could afford it. Yeah, nice. If I could speak to that, um, in terms of the, the the actual design, the monument itself, um, it's going to be basically a series of, of narratives and it's going to have ne- walls of which you have series of narratives. At first, it's going to be, begin with one, the beginning of Alpha Phi Alpha, the fraternity. So a brief snippet on one wall, section of a wall, talking about um, how Alpha was founded there in Ithaca at Cornell University on December 4th, 1906. But then it's also going to tell the story about our individual uh, founders that we call jewels and their accomplishments. But then we also want to talk about Alpha in history, uh, the Thurgood Marshalls of the world, the Duke Ellingtons of the world, the W.B. Du Boises, uh, the Jesse Owens is all up contemporary to even uh, uh, Rob Smith. So talk about how Alpha has been significant in uh, African-American history and uh, American history, but also talk about as the beginning of the Black Greek letter organizations. And the other one. Yeah, 
Alpha. That's right. The B, BGLO, uh, Black Greek Letter Organizations, which are, you know, we affectionately call the Divine Nine and have a little snippet on each of them, starting with the first one, Alpha Phi Alpha, going to Alpha Kappa Alpha and the ones that have come out at the other schools. And we also want to talk about the relationship between Alpha and Cornell and then Alpha and uh, the African-American community that supported us in the development of Alpha and how that was actually very instrumental in us succeeding as students in Ithaca at Cornell. And it literally is literally and figuratively at the intersection between the greater Cornell community and the Ithaca community, because it is going to be symbolic in that way. And we want that to be a destinational footprint for all visitors that come to uh, come to Ithaca or Cornell or Ithaca College or just passing through the area. And we'll as hope well, that's a great attraction. Yeah. As well as um, the part of the Underground Railroad and the very heaven. There's a tour that uh, of other historic black site in Ithaca that this monument should be, you know, part of that. It's a current yeah. day, but it's it looks both back at history and forward into what we can be. Yeah, specifically, we've been asked by the city of Ithaca to include this monument as part of their Freedom Heritage Trail. So you would have the 470 State Street Monument. You would have St. James Amy Zion, one of Alpha's meeting places, but importantly, where the uh, stop on the Underground Railroad, also where Alex Haley was born because his father went to Cornell and lived in Ithaca. And Alex Haley was born in Ithaca. And that's already, uh, they have a historical marker there. That would be part of this Freedom Historical Trail because there was a lot of history, African-American history in central New York and particularly uh, in Ithaca. And, and, and this will be a part of that, that greater narrative. Yeah. And then also the great thing about being a member of the organization, if you're not into fraternities and swords or, or the Greek vibe, it's okay. But one thing I enjoyed about Alpha Alpha is that they did teach me about parliamentary procedure, how to uh, speak, instead of straight, which I'm not doing right now. Yeah, um, how, to run a, how to run a meeting. <laughs> How to defend how to your a, ground. How to run a business. Yeah. A business. Maybe um, how to yes. make your argument, even if it's in the minority. And quite yes. frankly, even yes. if you were on the losing side, I think you enhance the winning side by considering all, all different ideas. And certainly whenever we had events and we had promotional materials or whatever, however good we thought the initial offering or design was or idea was, it was made better when we engaged with each other and kind of critiqued it. Maybe initially hurt our feelings, but overall, I think the outcome was improved because of that. Yeah, and, and the brotherhood. And, and yeah. I think Cornell really established the brotherhood. But the great thing about it, too, is in general, what I've missed about, and I'm so happy I, I was able to have, this, have a touch of the experience of living in that house. I feel like, you know, um, a lot of people don't understand are able to live with your frat brothers. It's just amazing. It's, it's like a TV show. It's also like it's like empowerment too. Yeah, a real a reality TV show. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like I have access to all these intelligent human beings, and if I don't have something, they'll give it to me. And it's just the resources for me was there, regardless. Yeah. Um, and it was just like this is beautiful. And then we learned about the Black College Tour. We learned about you know HIV drives, blood drives. It, you know, it's just amazing. And, and if I wasn't a part of the organization. I wouldn't have access to a lot of that. I don't feel. Yeah. I mean, maybe Frank can speak to this sort of not going off on a tangent, but realizing the experience of living together in a fraternity house, albeit one we didn't own, the university owned, but we were able to call it Alpha Phi Alpha. Fast forwarding now, we don't have that. Um, but we just acquired the opportunity to, to we acquired our own house. And now we're developing one that this time we will own our own frat house. Um, and it may be open to people beyond members of the fraternity, but at least it will be something that is uh, on the Greater Cornell uh, Community Campus. And we can call our own and that will reflect what we do beyond just being a fraternity. You know, the community pro service programs that we do. But Frank can speak probably better to what we're trying to do in that effort. Yeah, up in... Both campus, uh, border of Cayuga Heights, uh, we actually were able, successful in, in purchasing a house, which was a fraternity house. It was a, Teak was there. They called themselves Scorpion uh, Fraternity. Um, they had a beautiful house, historic in that district, and we're now uh, renovating it. We're going through the, the stages of uh, community review and uh, site plan review and department of buildings review and expect to be breaking, like breaking real ground. I mean, we had symbolic openings, but work is going to start swinging hammers middle of March. And uh, it's, it's eminent. And the undergrads are excited about it. We are. And but, you know, it's it's great that we're going to have this physical house and we're going to make sure that they treat it better than we treated Elmwood. <laughs> uh, 
because we own it and you know any repairs are going to be coming out of our pocket uh-huh. what's really cool is that we're able it's a place to run programs out of you know it's not just a place to have parties it's a place where Ithaca youth can come up and we have writing workshops or the um, uh, career seminars for, for college students from Cornell or Ithaca College so it's really a program venue as well as a place where some members will live and where they may have meetings or but and it, it'll be historic also because it's the the alpha chapter have always been really good hosts you know that when brothers come from Binghamton or from uh Syracuse or North Carolina or yeah, Southern University as far as South yeah oh yeah it'll be a place for that a destination yeah in addition to I'm gonna shameless plug 411 East State Street Monument the archives and at, at the uh, Cornell's Olin Library. It'll just be an additional uh, destination for visitors who still come now and now they have more to see. Who really helped us with the purchase of, of the house building. Uh, he's Rob Smith. Uh, yeah. Rob, yeah, Rob, he, he's made, uh, he's got a connection with the Smithsonian. He's on a, on their board and he's, you know, he's very instrumental in the African-American uh, History Museum. He's linking our visitors both the 411 state street and the the house with the smithsonian so we he has this idea we're going to put it together that when you check in and you say you visit there and you take your social media shots or whatever that all be recorded and go back to the smithsonian as your record of i was here uh so it's that's going to be the a really cool technological thing that probably like nowhere else at at this time yeah, and also, just now, is the rock still there? We can't pay it the rock. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I, I'm proud of that because my line brother helped organize that we during the 80s. Um, I guess it would have been 85 because I came up when I was in um, Cornell and Washington, fall of 85. We put, we uh, acquired, acquired a plaque and a rock and put it down as a marker at a very prominent area on Cornell's campus to mark that this was the place that the first black. African-American fraternity on an, you know, intercollegiate um, uh, Greek letter organization was founded. And that was the initial, I guess, uh, marker, if you will, because we didn't really have a marker of the kind. We had various places where the jewels, you know, used to uh, uh, frequent, but we never had a marker like that on Cornell's campus. And that was the first step to marking that Alpha Phi Alpha was here and was started here December 4th, 1906 by these seven founders of jewels. And then later on, fast forward from 1985 uh, to 2005, where the fraternity as part of its centennial uh, celebration in November of 2005 had a pilgrimage uh, to Ithaca, where over a thousand brothers came in tribute to the founding of the fraternity approximately 100 years ago. In that uh, pilgrimage, they enhanced the rock where the uh, plaque is marking the founding of the fraternity. And now it is a bench that surrounds the rock bench in the shape of a J for jewels. And it's an enhancement of the market that showed Alpha Phi Alpha was founded there at Cornell. And it's right across from the Central Student Union, uh, Willis Strait Hall, and right next to uh, the campus store. And it's in just down the way from the iconic McGraw uh, Bell Tower. Yeah, that was true. And that's, that's the power of what some undergrad guys just got together and said, let's do this. You know, it was us when we were on campus, and it's so significant that it was, we had great relations with the president of the university, the dean of students, you know, we were good academically, and we were able to get something that was uh, instrumental in us now having something that's huge. You know, we could not have done it if it wasn't for uh, a few undergrads uh, in uh, uh, 1985. Yep. And I should also mention, shameless plug again, it's right next to the Robert Frederick Smith uh, School of Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering, Old Owen Hall. <laughs> yes. Right, and also don't forget about Willis Trey. So yeah. we all we all know that uh, it's like a walking tour, and it's like the, it just shows you that the fraternity's legacy continues to build and live on past our founding members, the Jewels, um, and their foresight and vision. Because if you think about it, bro, like it started with the Rock. Now you now you're doing East State Street. Now you're doing like a house. It's like uh, before when I was there. Couple of days ago, when a year I graduated, <laughs> <laughs> it was like we 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 had a rented house, we had a house, and I had to pay like seven hundred dollars a month. I lived, <laughs> in the, and I lived in the attic, 
You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what? <laughs> so for me, I mean, this is beautiful for mm-hmm. some of our destinations. I think that, yeah. you know, to see that history and now it's all laid out in front of you and it's respected and it's done in a way that's classy and um, intelligent. I oh, and I also want to give some love to uh, 421 North Albany, another place that was in addition to 411 State Street that was instrumental to the founding of the fraternity. Uh, 421 North Albany Street, right next to a black church, Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, this was where the first meeting place of what would later become the fraternity um, originated. And that building, unlike 411 State Street um, House, which was torn down, 421 is still standing. And our group, the Jules Heritage Project Incorporated, got that designated a national, state, and local uh, historic landmark. And after that designation in cooperation with the current owner, because we don't own it, it's in private hands, uh, the owner uh, was able to enhance, well, to um, fix up the exterior of the building, not as historic landmark, because it was in significant disrepair and in danger of falling apart. The owner, with uh, I guess working with the city, uh, renovated the exterior so that it will now, it now looks like the original uh, 421 North Albany back in 1905, 1906. And a lot of people still go and take pictures there because that is a, a building that is still standing. It's over 160 years old. Um, uh, that is a part of uh, Alpha Phi Alpha's history and the African-American community in Ithaca, New York. Yeah. And then also we should uh, just really reiterate the pageantry, the fraternity too, and, and the fraternities and sororities, the marginalized panel in the council, um, they provide entertainment for the uh, the four percent students who are marginalized. They yeah, are, well, beyond this, yeah, yeah, beyond the black students, they provide entertainment for Cornell as well. Um, in, in so many ways, I mean, what we used to call the Greek Freak, where we would have step competitions, was open to the whole campus as well as visiting students from from the area, and we would have friendly camping uh, competition and stepping, uh, which is something uh, typical of the Black Greek Blood organizations, which is now involved to adding strolling um, as well. And as well as when we have our big uh, Cornell student activities from, I guess they don't do fun in the sun like they used to, but they also do the uh, live slow party that many of the Black Greek letter organizations will step or stroll in front of the campus door right next to the Alpha Phi Alpha um, landmark rock. So um, we obviously provide, you know, a lot of in cultural engagement for not only Black students that are there, but the wider Cornell um, student uh, staff community. And Vaughn, you know, when, when you speak about destinations and experiences, the work that we're doing in Ithaca, even though it's like remote upstate community, is very real for many people. Uh, even yourself, your son is going to be looking at schools soon enough, uh, really soon, a couple years. You know, people it gives people a reason to come to Ithaca. There's no yeah. this great yeah. university there, Cornell and also Ithaca College. Yeah. But while they're there, it's a destination and it's something to experience and learn about what else there is besides just academics. You know, yeah. learn about the founding of the other fraternities, learn about what people could do as undergrads uh, and, you know, and let it become something that's respected by the adult. Uh, yep. Which was important for me as a city boy, knowing that I would come back to the city to live. I wanted to have what I thought and what I've seen on TV as what looked like a traditional college town experience, not too far away from where I live, but far enough that you know, I can be on my own and independent in a safe environment and, you know, welcoming environment. It had its challenges, but it also was supportive as well for me and actually pushed me to be my better self or, the you know, to achieve what my uh, aptitude and my, you know, ability to believe and would aspire to. I, I really do subscribe that to, Cor- to Cornell and the community that was there when, when I attended both in college and arts and sciences and at the grad level in the law school. Yeah, I mean, and also um, before we uh, move, I have one more question. I was, I was going to add to the fact that a lot of the um, the schools, the colleges at Cornell are some of them are not are non traditional. Yeah. They are, and some, and some of them are state endowed and half endowed and you know privately funded. So I think that gives a that gives it a little bit more spice too. You know, to go to school with people who are authentically from New York. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but 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 also I think what it does is even, even though it's an Ivy League. It, was elite without being elitist. I think it, it represents the larger community. Cornell's mission 
you know, you know, found a place where any person can find uh, instruction in any study. It was really open to all people. And I, I think Cornell comes as close as you possibly can uh, do that uh, in New York State. So you got to meet people from, you know, every state in the union and territory and certainly uh, most places of the world. It was a rich, unique experience for me as a college student that I don't think I would have had if I stayed, say, in New York City. Grant Mission keeps the university in every county of the state. As yeah, well. the cooperative extension. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's. I was like, I was like, what's going on? Oh, yeah, I see Cornell everywhere. Yeah, um, people forget that Cornell is New York <laughs> land grant university because they think of land grant as usually purely state universities, but Cornell, a private university that has state supported uh, units to it, is New York's land grant uh, university, much like MIT is the land grant for Massachusetts. People forget about some of these private schools that are well regarded that also have that land grant mission to go in each community within the state and support it. So now we get we get this far. We own this land. You're ready yeah. for the beautiful monument to be constructed. Frank has drew the blueprints so effortlessly. <laughs> what are we looking for next? Well, I, I mean, we're really almost there. The The last piece, which is well within our control, is the fundraising. I yeah. mean, we've got the support of the community. We've gotten the land that was graciously uh, granted to us by the former owner of 411 East State Street. Frank and his team are developing uh, the, the design plans for it. But it's going to take us $4 million to uh, build and maintain. And we would like to do that within two years to track some of the other uh, construction that's going in the area. So we have an aggressive schedule to reach this ambitious $4 million goal, but we believe we can do it. We've already re uh, raised about a quarter of a million uh, in cash in the bank, and we have another million dollars pledged by an anonymous donor that we're using uh, to be matched by other gifts up to a million dollars. Uh, that donor will match up to a million dollars in additional gifts. So we're we're getting there, but we certainly can use uh, uh, support of others. And not just we're not just looking at fraternity brothers who provided the initial seed money. Now this is a public uh, outreach to, to, to reach our goals. And, and, and I believe we can do it with the help of so many people once they hear of the effort. I know Frank uh, uh, could also add to that. Yeah, no, because it's going to have such broad appeal, we are looking at corporations uh, to donate. We are looking at uh, other uh, philanthropies that, that affect uh, Ithaca in general. There's no limit to what we can uh, do with the funding. We have the physical building that has to be, be built. But like we mentioned with, with the house, there's also programming that's ongoing. So, and the beautiful thing is that you'll see where your money went. You know, we're not uh, a big organization that has a lot of overhead. It's everything that we collect goes into uh, creating um, these monuments. Yep. And it's tax deductible. It's a five. It's a Jules Heritage Project Inc. is a five hundred one c three entity that is incorporated as a nonprofit uh, in New York State. Um, we have a website presence that's simple to remember. It's www.julespluralproject.org. That's www.julesproject.org. Um, so people can go to the site and make their you know tax deductible uh, contribution. Uh, as well as find out more information.